You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. Welcome to week seven. Today's teaching is on Exodus 28, 1 through 30, 38. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, friends. It is good to be gathered again for another morning of WBF. So the first time I was here this semester, I talked about my hair. Today we're going to talk about clothes, and next time we'll talk about makeup, and then you'll be all set to go. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But let's actually think about clothes for a minute. What do clothes mean, and why do they matter? If I'm at home on a Saturday, or really any day of the week, and I don't get dressed right away in the morning, I inevitably get to some point in my day where I start to feel yucky and unproductive. I lack motivation, and I feel like I need to get dressed right away before I can get anything else done. Does anybody ever feel this way? Why is this? It's because our brains are wired to identify with our clothing. We feel more ready to sleep when we put our pajamas on. We feel more ready to exercise when we put our workout clothes on. And we feel more productive when we put our work attire on, whatever that may be. Today we're going to look at the priests. Chapter 28, verse 2, tells us that they are to be clothed in holy garments for glory and for beauty. The priests are to identify with the glory and the beauty of the Lord. The Lord is the most beautiful sight we can ever behold. They are his representatives to the people. God has saved the people to dwell with him so they may gaze on his beauty all the days of their lives. And the priests are to be a reminder of this truth. Out of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi is set aside in service to the Lord. And out of the tribe of Levi, Aaron and his sons specifically are set aside as priests. And then Aaron himself is set apart as the high priest. All of the priests are to wear linen undergarments, a coat with a sash, and a turban like you see pictured. The linen undergarments were their holy underwear. Yes, even their underwear has significance, all right? Chris told us two weeks ago that at the time Moses is writing in Near Eastern culture, there are a lot of pagan rituals regarding nakedness, specifically among the priests. The Lord is telling Israel that their worship of him is not to look anything like the neighbors around them. In the Garden of Eden, the Lord covered Adam and Eve with clothing. And here he is telling them, it is good to cover your nakedness. Over top of their garments, they wore a coat made of fine linen. That's what you see pictured in white. And then they also wore a sash around that and a turban on their head. And this was the entire um, attire for a standard priest. In your homework, we had you color in Aaron's outfit based on your reading. Was this difficult or fun? Did you do it? (laughs) I don't particularly enjoy this part, I'm not going to lie. Thankfully, we are a team of friends. And so uh, my dear friend Christy loves to do these things, and so she colored in this picture for us. (laughs) Mine would not have looked so nice. All right, so... Aaron also wore um, a coat of linen and a turban, and he had the linen undergarments as well. And then over top of that, he had a robe. And this robe was made of blue, and then on the hem of the robe, it was woven with 
purple, um, gold, and scarlet threads. And then it had pomegranates and bells woven into it. What did the threads remind you of? The curtains of the tabernacle. Aaron looks like a walking tabernacle. But why these pomegranates and bells on the bottom? Imagine how noisy this would be for Aaron to walk around with bells on the bottom of his robe. I hate noisy toys in my house. If my kids bring a bell or a whistle home, I wait until the minute that they sit it down, and I take it, I grab it, and I hide it, and I hope that they're going to forget about it. Why? Because if one of my kids is carrying a bell around, they're obnoxiously announcing to the world their presence. Think about this. As Aaron is moving about, fulfilling his priestly duties on behalf of the people, he is going to be calling attention to himself. Aaron is going to be a visual and an audible reminder to the people of the holiness of God. As they're going about their lives, Aaron's presence is like a wake-up call to the true reality that the Israelites belong to the Lord. Next, we have an ephod. This is made of two pieces of material, and they're attached together at the shoulders. Again, the material here is gold, purple, and scarlet threads. It mirrors the tabernacle. On the shoulders of the ephod are two onyx stones. And on these onyx stones, they hold the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're engraved on them. Aaron bears the names of the people before the Lord. He is their representative. Like Moses, he is acting as mediator between the Lord and the people. He represents the Lord to the people and the people to the Lord. On this ephod, there's a breastplate. It's square, and it's attached at the shoulders with some gold chains. And on the breastplate are 12 unique precious stones. And these represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Each stone is unique and precious, just as each tribe and each person in each tribe is unique and precious to the Lord. We see similar language to this in Revelation, where the foundations of the city walls are made of 12 precious stones. The high priest also has the role of judge. He presides over the people, and in his breastplate is something called the Urim and the Thummim. What is the Urim and the Thummim? Yeah, I honestly have no idea. <laughs> Nobody knows. All right? So what we do know from other scripture is that Aaron is going to use them in some capacity for making judgments and discerning God's will. Lastly, on Aaron's turban, there's a gold plate, and it has the inscription, Holy to the Lord. The Lord can only accept what is suitable to his own character and nature. And so Aaron, as a representative for the people, is going into the Holy of Holies wearing righteousness on his forehead. This has been granted to him by the Lord. Jenny told us last week that as you move away from God's presence in the tabernacle, the items and materials become less costly and more common. Aaron's clothing resembles the tabernacle, but the order is actually reversed. The most beautiful ornamentation is on the outside with the simplest layer against his body. The clothing that comes in contact with God's presence is the most beautiful. And as you move away from God's presence, the layers are simpler. The last layer in Aaron's clothing are the linen undergarments, which mirrors the fencing around the courtyard. 
the people dwell outside of this courtyard. And Aaron, as a sinner, is on the other side of the linen layer. No matter how many sacrifices are made, Aaron's heart is still sinful, and he cannot be in God's presence. This clothing is a covering for Aaron. The people of Israel are depending on the priest to be accepted before the Lord. He stands on behalf of them, offering prayers and sacrifices. Without the priest, the people would die in their sins. And without this holy and glorious garment, Aaron himself would die in his sin because he is an imperfect mediator. And so just as the tabernacle points us to the plan of salvation through the person and the work of Christ, so too does the priesthood. Christ is our high priest. He has laid down his glory and taken on flesh. He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 tells us, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but, one, we, ha- but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christ fulfills every priestly duty perfectly. He stands before the Father as our perfect representative, holy to the Lord. He has borne the weight of our sin on his shoulders. And like the 12 precious stones, he tenderly carries our burdenness, our burdens, our brokenness, and our pain before the Father. Each one of us is precious to him. And he understands our weakness, and he intercedes with the Father on our behalf. He is our perfect, sinless mediator. From here we move on to an elaborate ordination ceremony. Right? Aaron is a sinful man, as we said. And so before he can serve the Lord, he must be consecrated or set apart for this task. Did this feel like it was a lot of blood and animals dying? Mm-hmm. Feel kind of strange and gross? I certainly felt that way as I was reading through the text. But let's keep digging a little bit more and see if we can figure out the meaning behind all of this death and blood. We're going to go through the ordination ceremony. You might want to follow along in your workbook because it's on page 55. The ordination ceremony for Aaron and his sons lasts seven days. The first, the priests are washed with water. They're cleaned from head to toe. And then they're robed in their priestly garments and anointed with oil. After this, we find a series of sacrifices. Each time an animal is sacrificed, Aaron and his sons would put their hands on the animal's head. And this would signify that this animal is a substitute for them. It's being sacrificed on their behalf. Then blood from that sacrifice is sprinkled on various items. Why? Why the death and why the sprinkling of blood? Romans 3.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, something must die. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This blood is going to purify whatever it touches because of the sacrifice that it represents. A life for a life. 
There are three types of sacrifices. The first is a bull. Blood from the bull are put on the horns of the altar. This purifies the altar. And then the unclean parts of the bull are taken outside the camp, and the clean parts are sacrificed to the Lord. This is an atonement sacrifice. Before Aaron and his sons can serve, like we said, something has to be done about their sin. And so a bull is offered as a substitute. They should have received the punishment that this animal is going to bear to atone for their sins. The second offering is a ram. Blood is put on the sides of the altar, and the entire animal is burned as a sacrifice. This is going to symbolize that the priest's entire life is to be dedicated in service to the Lord. The third offering is another ram. The blood of this offering is put just about everywhere. Blood is put on the right ear, right thumb, and right big toe. Strange, right? This symbolizes that every action of the priest is to be set apart in service to the Lord. They're hearing, they're doing, and they're walking. After that, a mixture of blood and oil is sprinkled on the priest's clothing. Okay, let's stop here a minute and let's think about this. Do you remember that detailed and beautiful, glorious outfit we just went through that Aaron is wearing? What is sprinkled on it? A mixture of blood and oil. Ladies, have you ever tried to get a blood and oil stain out? It's awful. It's like the worst thing you could try to get out of someone's clothing. These people are in the desert, right? The markings of this ordination ceremony are not going to go away. What then happens as we move down in our text to these garments? Exodus 28, 29 to 30 tells us that the holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons and his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. These stained garments are going to be passed on from generation to generation. A reminder that they are supposed to identify with the sacrifice that bought their right to wear these robes and to serve in this way. After this, we find a series of wave offerings. They are both sacrificed to the Lord and also given as a provision for the priests. The Lord is going to care for the priests' bodily needs. Lastly, there's a feast. The covenant between the Lord and the priests is sealed again with a meal. All of these things have to be done before Aaron and his sons can serve as priests. And every priest after him will have to partake in an ordination ceremony. It feels like a lot, right? However, even after all of this sacrifice and cleansing, the priests must still regularly offer sacrifices for their sins. Exodus 29, 38 to 39 tells us that two lambs are offered every day, one at morning and one at night. Each morning and evening, as the priest prepares to serve the people, they're reminded of their own guilt, of the gravity of their sins so weighty that an animal needs to die in their stead. Friends, let us not forget the weight of our sin. Let us not forget the gravity of what we deserve, death. Our sin is gross and it's messy, and in order for us to be in relationship with God, Christ had to die in our stead. We too need this reminder daily. We need to daily remind ourselves of the gospel. 
Hebrews 7.27 tells us that he has no need like those high, like, that Jesus has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and, all, and, once and for all when he offered up himself. Christ is our better high priest. After all of these specific instructions are given to the people, the Lord is going to finish chapter 29 with a series of I will statements. We've had five chapters filled with one verb that repeats over and over again. Do you know what it is? You shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. And now the Lord is going to say, I will. He promises that he will meet with Moses and that he will meet with the people of Israel. He will consecrate the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. He will consecrate the priests to serve him. And he's going to do all of this for the purpose that he will dwell among the people and be their God. All of these elaborate details that we see laid out here are for this purpose, so that the Lord can dwell with the people. He doesn't want them to forget the big picture here. He is going to ask them to walk in obedience, just like the law. But again, we see that it is the Lord who is going to do the work. He will be their God. So now we're going to take a little bit of a turn. It's going to be a hard turn. It's almost like as if we had a little bit of an aside here on the priests. And now we're going to move back into the pieces of the tabernacle. This is all the stuff that you talked about with Jenny last week. And the first piece that we're going to look at is the altar of incense. It's about 18 inches by 18 inches by 3 feet high. So it's not really that large. And it's in the holy place, along with the lampstand and the table of bread. And it's situated right in front of the veil. If you could imagine that the veil was not there, it would be directly in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The priests would take coals from the bronze altar and they would use them on this altar of incense. The coals would ignite the incense on the altar and it would rise up in this puff of smoke. The smoke would fill the holy place with a sweet aroma. And the cloud of that smoke would rise up over to the veil and on to the Ark of the Covenant. In Numbers, we're given a story of Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. And they offer an unholy incense to the Lord. They are struck down dead because they use coals from another fire to ignite this incense. The coals must come from the bronze altar. Why? Why is this important? It's because this incense can only be sweet before the Lord if it first comes through the atoning sacrifice at the altar. The Lord will not accept anything else. What was the smell of rotting flesh of the animal in the courtyard? Through sacrifice is going to become a sweet fragrance to the Lord. As you read your cross-references in your homework, you saw that this incense symbolizes the prayers of the people. Our prayers are also bought through the sacrifice of Christ. Our privilege to pray comes through sacrifice. Have you ever thought about that before? As I read and studied this part of the tabernacle, it gave me such great awe at the gift of what it is to pray. It's through Christ's sacrifice that we are able to bring our requests and our praise before the throne. Our prayers are cleansed, perfumed, and lifted through the work of Christ on the cross. 
Christ is our high priest, and he stands interceding before the Father on our behalf, lifting our prayers and allowing them to be heard. Next, instructions for a census is given. To take a census demonstrates ownership or authority of something because you take count of the things that are yours. And so the Lord is Israel's king, and he is going to count them and require a contribution from them. Each person's contribution is to be equal. Each Israelite equally gives the same amount of money. This is because every Israelite equally belongs to God. The contribution is called their atonement money. And this can be a little bit confusing. But it's not because Israel is buying their freedom with this money. But rather, it's because their freedom has already been bought. They are acknowledging with this contribution that they are not their own, but that they belong to God. Friends, we too, our, our, our freedom has been paid through Christ, right? We are not our own, but we belong to God. Next we come to the last item of the tabernacle, the bronze basin. We're not given a lot of information about what this looks like, but we do know it's made of bronze. We just don't have any dimensions for it or the size. The basin is situated in the courtyard. It's right after the bronze altar, and it's before the entrance to the tabernacle. It's used only by the priest as the mediator. So each time the priest walked by the basin, he would use it to wash. He would wash himself before he would go to the bronze altar in service to the people, and then he would wash himself before he would go into the tabernacle in service to God. This would be in constant use. This bronze altar and bronze basin are a picture for us of salvation through the process of justification and sanctification. Justification means to make or declare something right. Through faith, we are justified by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We no longer bear the penalty of our sin. We are made right with God. We are robed in Christ's righteousness, and this is our unchanging status before the Lord. The bronze altar represent, represents the foreshadowing of this reality to come. Sanctification means the process of being made holy. We live in what is called the already and the not yet. The already, we have been justified through the work of the cross. We no longer have to pay the penalty of our sin. But the not yet, we still sin and we experience life in a sinful world. Our sanctification is the ongoing work of the spirit in our lives to cleanse us from sin. The bronze basin foreshadows this reality to come. How do we experience sanctification as believers? Ephesians 5.26 tells us that the church, that Christ has cleansed the church by the washing of water through the word. Before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed, sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. When we come to the scriptures, we see a true reflection of who we are. We wash ourselves through confession and repentance as we turn from our sin in order to serve a holy God. This is how we maintain communion with God. It's not that we're cleansing ourselves from the guilt of sin, but rather from its defilements. The basin is the last piece of the tabernacle. 
So now we're going to go through this diagram that we gave you in your homework. Please do not worry if your diagram did not match this. This is all part of the learning process, but you can make corrections here if you desire. We're actually going to get a chance to go back through the tabernacle again at the end of our time together. And hopefully that will really cement it in our minds. All right, so the first piece is the bronze altar. So when... Um, you would come in to the courtyard, you would see this bronze altar, and that's where the priests would make sacrifices on behalf of the people. Then you have that bronze basin that we just talked about, where the priests would wash before serving the people and serving the Lord. And then as you go into the tabernacle, you have the table of bread uh, on the north side. This is where they would have uh, those loaves of bread setting out. And we talked about it being a reminder of the communion table. Then you have the lampstand. This would illuminate and bring light into uh, the tabernacle. Then that altar of incense that we talked about, where the priest would offer incense twice a day. And then you have the veil. This would separate the holy place, which is where we just were, from the most holy place. And then you have, lastly, the Ark of the Covenant, where the Lord's presence resided. So after all of these things are made, they are given an instruction to anoint every piece with oil. Everything is to be set apart in service to the Lord. We, too, have been set apart in service to the Lord. We have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's his power who works in us to sanctify us and to use us for good works to bring glory to God. In the book of Zechariah, we have a vision of a high priest at the time, who interestingly enough is also named Joshua, although this is much later in Israel's history. I'm going to read this section for you. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Joshua is standing before the Lord covered in filth. The word here for filth is excrements. He is standing in shame covered in his own soiled clothing. Satan stands at the Lord's right hand ready to accuse Joshua because he, has, he knows he has no right to be in the presence of a holy God. The Lord commands for Joshua's filthy clothing to be removed. And he stands before the Lord naked. He is declared clean. His sin and shame have been taken away. And priestly attire is called for him. And he is robed in them from head to toe. Friends, this is a picture of us in Christ. We stand before the Lord, covered in our filth and in our shame, unworthy to be in his glorious presence. 
And Satan stands ready to accuse us, telling us that our sin is too great. Our sin is too great. But Christ, Christ has removed our filth and he has taken away our iniquity and we can stand clean. We're not cleansed, we're not only cleansed, but we are robed in righteousness, in robes of glory and beauty to reflect our new identity. We are holy to the Lord. We read a few weeks ago that not only was Israel called a kingdom of priests, but we are as well the church. It is through faith in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross that we have been washed and made clean. We are robed in righteousness. We have been anointed by the Holy Spirit and sprinkled with blood, set apart in service to the Lord. Christ is our high priest, and we as believers serve as priests under him, bearing his name to the nations. Each day as we come to the Lord in prayer and through his word, we confess our sins. Let us not stay in the shame of our filth, but rather let us remember the work of Christ. May we repent and believe the gospel that we have been clothed in glory and beauty that it is his perfect righteousness that clothes us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you and we praise you for the work of Christ on the cross. We do not deserve this. It is nothing that we have done or earned that has got us to this place, but it is all of Christ. Lord, we thank you that we can stand before you righteous because of his work. Lord, as we move out and about our days, would you remind us daily, multiple times a day, Lord, would you call our minds to remember this sacrifice? When we are tempted to stay in shame, covered in our filth, Lord, would we remember that we have a new identity, that we are clothed in righteousness because of the cross? Lord, would we repent and believe anew each and every day? We thank you, Lord, that you love us and we love you. In Christ's name, amen.